0: You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. I want you to imagine he's sitting on the beach just across the sea there, about 220 miles is Athens, Greece. Sitting on the beach in his chairs in an empty chair next to him now, where his, his mentor, his spiritual father, the man who led him to the Lord, has left him for the last couple months. For nearly a decade, the two of them have been traveling and planting churches and encouraging the churches. But over the last several months, he was left on this island to be their leader, to be their pastor, not just the pastor of a church, but to pastor the entire island. Because all over this island, there are, there are churches. And so he's been left for the last couple months, and he finally gets a letter from his spiritual dad. And I can see him sitting on the beach, looking out over the sea at the Mediterranean there, and just reading that letter, drinking a cold drink. Realizing that what's ahead of him is going to be hard. It's not going to be a couple weeks of planning and working and a couple meetings. It's going to be years in the making. But what he's been given a responsibility to do is something that we are reading about today that has been guiding and leading the church for the last 2,000 years. What we're about to read today is part one of of a section of the Bible is a letter to called Titus. And Titus, uh, he's on the island of Crete. Take a look at this picture. This is kind of where it's at. This is what Crete looks like. Crete is in the Mediterranean. It's just off of Greece, and it's a beautiful, rocky island. It's not very large. In fact, it's only about 35 miles wide, and, and uh, as far as long, it's not very long. It's nearly, let me see, get the exact. It's uh, 35 miles wide and about 150 miles long. I mean, you could walk it, you could get to it really fast. And I would imagine as he's reading this letter from his spiritual dad, and he finally reads it, he rolls it up, he sighs real big, and he gets up and realizes it's time to get to work. He's been kind of waiting for this message, this encouragement. He's been trying to maybe wing it a little bit over the last couple months, but he's got some very clear instruction from the Apostle Say so here's the background: Titus on Crete with Rocky Mountains. The New Testament church is growing. It is exciting and it is chaotic. It's only been about maybe 40 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. Maybe 40, uh, 50 years, and and 60 years at the max at this point, because the Apostle Paul and the disciples are getting very old. But Titus, he's one of the young guys. He's he's one of the guys that came to Jesus. Uh, and came to know him as Savior after Jesus ascended and never got to meet Jesus. But his spiritual dad did, the Apostle Paul did. He walked with Jesus and knew Jesus in a very special way. Different from the regular apostles, Jesus had a special appointment with Paul. So Paul begins to travel and disciple, and, and Paul goes on what we have in the book of Acts are three recorded missionary dri- uh, trips where he travels all over Europe, which is today Turkey and Galatia and Greece and Italy and all over the Mediterranean Sea. And um, we have this, in in history says he made it all the way to Portugal and Spain, and so we, we have Paul traveling in these three uh, recorded acts, missionary trips, and Titus is one of those guys that traveled with him a lot. Titus is a guy that was a missionary partner. Uh, he, it is assumed that he was led to the Lord by Paul because he refers to Paul as his father in the Lord, as the one who led him to Christ. It was a, a time of fast growth, but it was also a time of intense persecution and incredible discrimination against Christians. Traveling preachers, some of them good, were preaching to churches all over. And some of them were terrible. Some of them were liars. And some of them were dangerous. And they made their way to the island of Crete where the Apostle Paul had left Titus to continue a work that they had started together. In Titus 1, when it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. This is the first thing you need to know. Is that it's not just written by a guy named Paul, but by the Apostle Paul. Apostles are men appointed by Jesus himself to give us Jesus' revealed word and truth. There's no, There are not apostles in the regard to the apostles of the New Testament still alive today. The apostles... That Jesus commissioned are the ones that gave us and commissioned by Jesus to give us His revealed word and truth. So when we read the the writings of the apostles, we are writing in uh, sorry we are reading the very words that God has intended for His church that Jesus has given to His designated handpicked leaders. The Apostle Paul was one of those guys. He's aging. He uh. In the course, if you follow the history of Paul, he just got out of prison, and he's actually about to be arrested one more time in about a year after this letter, and uh, that ends his life, and his head is cut off. But he just got out. He's anxious to to get out of prison and finally go meet some of the churches that he helped plant and establish and so he's passing down instruction and leadership to some of the people that he's put over the churches. And there's what's known as three pastoral letters in the New Testament. They're called pastoral letters in the New Testament because they're written to pastors. Anybody ever heard of the letters 1st and 2nd Timothy? Okay? 1st and 2nd Timothy, they were letters written by Paul to the pastor Timothy. Who at the time was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and he wrote two letters to that pastor, and that's what we have today. Titus is a pastor or the overseer; you might call him a bishop of all of Crete, and there are churches all over the the, the island. And, and The apostle Paul says, "Titus, here is a letter from a from an apostle to an to a pastor." So, first and second Timothy, Titus are known as the pastoral letters because they're written to. Pastors. So, what you're going to read today is a letter written from an apostle to the pastors of a church for the people. Okay, and it's this is great because you get a real sense of leadership dynamic here. In fact, we know he means business by how Paul talks about himself. Look at Titus one one says, "Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ," and then he gives this long this this long explanation. An apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. He's basically saying, I am commissioned by Jesus to encourage you in the faith, and I am chosen by God so that you can know him better. He says, in the hope of eternal life, that is the hope of heaven. He goes, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. What God says he will do concerning the afterlife, he will do. He is not a liar. And which now, at this season, or at his season, he has brought to light, That means God's plans are being made known through Jesus Christ and currently in their time in a a revealed way that had never been done before. He says, through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Again, he's saying, what I'm about to share is from God himself. It's from Jesus who commissioned me by God himself. I'm about to give you something that you cannot miss. This is not negotiable. Now, this is important. He says, I am teaching and giving to you. Not, this is not just a letter from a friend to a friend. This is not a spiritual dad checking up on his spiritual son. This is a very intense, this is longer than usual intro. This tells us that this is official apostolic business. That means what he does in the first half is he says, he lays out very clearly, this is not just me waxing eloquent on some of my opinions. He says, this is official declared words from God to the church. He makes it very clear right off the top. This is a letter that was to be shared and passed around. It's more than a letter from a friend to a friend. This is from God. And what's interesting here is that this letter and the, the uh, First Timothy letter that covers some of the same type of stuff uh, is used in the church today to organize the church. And, and though it was written to Titus, it was shared. And for 2,000 years, it's been the heart of how a church functions. So it goes on to say, and then he says in verse 4, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. So he's writing to Titus, led to Christ by Paul, former missionary, partner, close friend, often sent ahead by Paul to resolve conflict. Titus at this time is now the overseer of all the Christian churches on the island of Crete. So verse 5, here we go. The reason I left you in Crete... By the way, which suggests Paul was there for a while first. Because remember that empty chair? <laughs> that was Paul's. I could imagine there was a time when maybe Titus sat on the beach with his spiritual dad and 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 dreamed about what Creek could be like in the Lord. You know, if you've ever been a church planter, there's those dream moments where you just drive the neighborhoods. We're sitting in a local coffee shop and just look at all the people and you go, Man, these people, man, these people could be. In the kingdom of God, these people could be part of the family that we're going to start. And it's very exciting. It's, man, I, these planning meetings, sitting on the beach, just praying together, looking out. So man, this is beautiful. Can't wait. Can't wait to see what God has for us. And then Paul moves on. He's in prison. And who knows how long it's been. He finally gets out of prison. He writes this letter. And he says, the reason I left you was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. They started it together but there was still more to do. So this was written for encouragement, instruction, and answers. The churches were growing, and the churches in Crete were growing, but troubles were starting to develop. And so the apostle Paul is writing an instruction letter from from an apostle to a pastor. Paul's intro ensures its authority. The Titus would need to follow up on what we are about to read. This letter was and still is used. As official church guidelines. So overall, the the this little tiny letter of Titus is man. It is compact. It is to the point and powerfully important. Important. It, it kind of lays itself out into three natural areas. In chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. We're just going to spend three weeks on Titus, and then this series is done. On this lift series, we're looking at small letters in the New Testament. Then we're going to talk about some cool Christmas stuff. Uh, kind of. I've got some ideas for what we're going to do for Christmas. I'm excited. Uh, But over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack Titus. And it's kind of in three sections. Chapter one, uh, Paul is instructing Titus on the character and conduct of Christian leaders in the church. And in chapter two, next week, we're going to talk about the character and conduct of Christians in the church how we should be treating each other, and how our family and lives should be, and how we should be at work. And then chapter 3 specifically talks about the character and conduct of Christians as we interact with those who are not part of the church. And so it's it's practical, it's powerful, it's important, full of doctrine. In fact, there's no other book in the New Testament that talks about God or uh, talks about Jesus as Savior more than any other book in the, in the Bible. Think about that. A three chapter letter says the word Savior more uh, than any other letter. And it also says uh, good works more than any other letter because it's talking about our our beliefs reflect our life. And so there's a lot of teaching, a lot of doctrine, in this little tiny to the point, powerful little letter. So let's dive in. Part one, the character and conduct of the Christian leader. And what he does right at the top, he says, this is why I left you here. He goes, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders. Ever say elders. elders. Ever say appoint. <laughs> now Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, this is important because this has been debated, and, and a lot of this is, uh, there's interpretational differences on this passage, what we're about to read. And, and you're going to find today, you're, you may not even agree with everything that I have to say. There are very clear guidelines that Paul gives us, but there is some process that we're not really sure about because he doesn't expound on. And one of them, he says, appoint elders. He does not say vote on elders. He does not say submit a list of people, cast a ballot, and have a big informational meeting, and then just kind of take a survey poll and raise your hands or a silent ballot. You know, he says appoint. You, Titus, as the pastor of these churches, you need to appoint elders. Now, this is a, a big difference. Some churches, they vote on elders. They actually, you know, you might submit a name, and then we investigate his life, and he, he goes through a process, and then and then we bring him to the church, and we stand him up there, guys. What do you think? And then everybody puts their little silent vote thing in, and and a lot of churches they actually, uh, you know, vote in elders, and they're like three and four year terms, like a president. We don't do that because eldership is not, in my opinion, based upon popularity or on a democracy approach. It is an appointing, uh, it is a calling, it is uh, by the, the leader of the church or the leaders of the church to appoint other elders. And we're gonna talk about that later, but um, I think that's important, small thing to point out. So what is an elder? An elder is basically an overseer of a local church. The elders of this church do not have a say in the church down the street. If they're functioning in the New Testament method, they have elders as well. Elders are the way that God sets in the function of the church. Uh, Some denominations, they they do it differently. But um, the way that we see the New Testament is that each church is autonomous, working together as a family, which is why we're part of the family of churches known as missionary church. But each church is autonomous in that they have their own set of elders and lead and pursue the vision of God for their church individually. So our elders do not get together and decide on what's happening for the church next to us, you know, down the road. That won't be happening because elders are designed to lead the local church in which they are a part of. They're spiritual overseers to shepherd and to lead the flock. So we're going to talk a little bit about what that means in a second here because we have elders in our church, and you may not even know who they are. You're going to meet them this morning. I want you to know this. This is vital because some of you already are just kind of turned upside down about this whole discussion is that you need to know this. It is God's plan for a church to be organized and to have godly leadership and pastors. There are a lot of people who say, you know, I like Jesus. I like, you know, the whole belief system, but I just do not like organized religion. You know, I don't like the organized. I don't like the organized. You like disorganized religion. You like disorganized churches? <laughs> well, there's a whole lot of mouth there. I have have a good time at it. Uh, We're called to be organized. See, the Apostle Paul, when he traveled throughout the world, he risked his life for the gospel of Jesus. And then in Acts, we see he circled back and risked his life again to set in elders at each one of those places. All these places he was chased out of, where they broke his legs and tried to kill him and left him for dead and left him for the wolves to eat, and he narrowly escaped, he would go back to them to set in elders. So this is just as vital. You see, if we're leading people to Christ, but there's not a system of maturity set in place, then we have failed the kingdom. Because Jesus did not say go and make converts; He said go and make disciples, people who are growing and following in Jesus, uh, following Jesus Christ. So if the church is not organized with competent, godly leadership, the church is not functioning correctly. I well, some say I don't like organized religion. Well, then you don't like the Bible, because the Bible is very clear on this and. In fact, a lot of the New Testament talks about this. So our elders are uh, here. And so I'm going to just have them stand up where they are. If our elders could stand up. Um, when you say, when I call your name, please stand up. Now, um, Ted Blair is an elder. I'm an elder. And uh, you guys already uh, heard Mike Walls talked to, earlier today. So uh, he waved his arm. Uh, we got Tony Godina over here, he's in our... Go stand up if you could, Tony. And then uh, Stan Rogers, he's one of our elders. Uh, Randy Baxter, uh, he's one of our elders. He protects the back row. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and though Sean is a spiritual leader, at this point he's not an elder, but we do foresee that happening in the future. So um, so these are our eldership team, and we are those that God has ordained and picked for us to protect and to seek Out the Lord's face for our church and to to guide and to shepherd and to care for you Uh, And not just anybody can be an elder You can have a seat because the Bible gives us some qualifications. Yeah, let's give it up for our elders We had an elder meeting this morning to talk about the the uh, the space that we're you know Because I had some new information and I want to tell them before I tell you guys Um, But our elders are pretty pretty special men uh, here's the qualification for an elder and by the way, in that other pastoral letter to Timothy, he writes something very similar in First Timothy chapter 3. his same issue. So here we go, Titus chapter 1 verse 6. He says this, an elder must be. I say must be. This is not optional. An elder must be blameless. That means above reproach. That means he does not have a questionable life. That means there's not obvious evidence of him being found guilty of living a sinful life. That means he has a good reputation. Like if we don't go, I don't know about that guy, man. I saw him. You You know, they are blameless. They're above reproach, above accusation. The next one is faithful to his wife. It's also translated as husband of one wife or man of one wife. Now, there's two controversial things that immediately come out of this passage. And I want to address them. And again, you might have a different opinion on this because there's churches that have a different opinion on this all over the world. Um, But here's the first thing. Two controversial things is that time and again in this section of eldership, he refers to an elder as a man, that an elder is to be a man. Elders are men. Titus gives a definition of deacons and elders, and deacons are men and women. It makes it very clear. What is the difference between an elder and a deacon? Like I said, an elder are senior or spiritual overseers of the church at a senior level. But a deacon is a servant leader, a ministry leader. Even pastors on staff can be deacons. Uh, small group leaders, in some ways, they are smaller shepherds in the church. They are deacons, and a deacon can be a man or a woman. So we believe that women can serve in ministry at, at, at living way, very, very important, uh, uh, you know, very significant roles of ministry. Um, we believe that women can be pastors, uh, but women, uh, according to the New Testament, are not designed or crafted to be in the role of an elder. And, and I, you know, there's biological, there's emotional, there's different reasons that we could talk about. But really what it comes down to is that there's a difference in what God has designed. You know, he didn't call a husband to be a wife and he didn't call a wife to be a husband. He called the man to be the husband and the wife to be the wife, the the woman to be the wife. These are roles, not because one is better than the other, more significant than the other, or smarter than the other, or has more power authority than the other, or that one is able to do it better than the other. These are just the designed roles that God put in the house of God and in our house at home. So that's a controversial issue, and that's maybe why you're wondering why we don't have men, uh, why men only are elders, and uh, that's because we believe that the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus tells us that elders are to be men. Uh, Deacons, other pastoral roles can be men and women. Um, Another thing it says, it's very controversial, it says a husband of one wife or faithful to his wife. Um, This is... An issue for some because they see that, some churches see that as meaning that a husband, uh, that a man who ever got divorced could never be an elder. And maybe you've been in a church like that. Uh, Assemblies of God, uh, some Presbyterian, um, uh, most Pentecostals, uh, many, many Baptist churches have this position. And that position is that if you've ever been married, you pretty much uh, cannot be in any kind of senior leadership role or pastoral role whatever. ever. I do not believe that is what the Bible is saying here. And if you look at the original, you're going to find out this is not what it's saying. Because honestly, we're talking to a bunch of people who were pagans before they were Christians. And, and in the pagan culture, it was not just uncommon to have many divorces, but to have many, many wives. And so if... Before Jesus and even after Jesus, we are sinful people, and, and there are, this is not the unpardonable sin. I've seen churches, I've known pastors in churches where they say, man, this guy would have been a great elder, but he had a, he had a divorce in his life. But this guy, he's an elder, but he's been in prison, he's murdered somebody, and he was a drug addict and, and all these things. I'm like, hey, man, that's the grace of God at work for this guy. How come divorce isn't it the grace of God at work in this guy? The divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Uh, and and we have testimony of that throughout the New Testament, how men of significant influence who have had a questionable past, who through the grace of God have been able to be leaders, pastors, and, and even apostles in the church. So it's not a mar- an issue of, of being married uh, or divorced. And it's not even about having to be married because Paul, who was an apostle and an elder, was not at the time married. He was married at one time. We know that because he was a Pharisee, and all Pharisees are married. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Something happened to his wife in the thirty years of the New, of the New Testament. We don't know. We don't know if she died or if she left or or what happened. But but we know that by the time he wrote this letter, Paul made it very clear that he was not married. And so this is not about you having to be married. Um, this is what it's about. It literally means one woman, man. It's issues of faith and monogamy. They're in a culture where polygamy was very, very prominent, and basically the Apostle Paul is saying, make sure this guy has only one wife. If he's married, only one wife, okay, and that he's faithful to her. Unfortunately, churches have divided over this. Uh, I believe the grace of God is bigger than than, uh, that issue of divorce, so we do not see that as an issue that would keep you from being an elder. So he goes on to say, see how controversial this is already? And it's good stuff. You're like, Ted, I don't agree with everything you've said so far. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. Uh, He goes on to say in Titus, he says this. He says, "Um, also that you are to be a man whose children... By the way, children who live in the household, this is not about grown-up children who are responsible for their own actions. I mean, if you're if you're an elder and your children are adults, you're not responsible for their actions. They are adults now. This is about children who are small and that you are accountable for and to. He says, and a man whose children believe. The literal there is who are faithful, uh, because uh, some translations have a little bit more explanation. This is not saying that if you're an elder, all of your kids have to be Christians. Um, that would be great. That would be advisable. But it doesn't really say that and to force that issue to say that if your kids don't accept Christ you can't be an elder then I think that that's then that's a misunderstanding and basically meaning that you are training and leading your kids they're faithful to to the Lord as they know how and where they are with their walk with God and they're not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. So that's a deal breaker. If your kids are wild and crazy and and just off the hook uh, then they' you know you need to take care of your house, not the household of God. All right? In fact, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, when he says it to Timothy, he says it this way. He says, An elder must manage his own family well and see that his children obey, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. That means you're not to beat your kids into submission. You're to lead and to guide your family in a way that is worthy of full respect. He goes, If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? See, this is a real issue with a lot of churches today because we have all these churches that have the reputation of the PKs. You know, the PK is preacher's kid, pastor's kid, right? And, and you know, the PKs have this reputation to be crazy and wild. I want to tell you something just straight out right now. If anything were to ever happen, or it did happen over the years in my family, if my family was falling apart, if my kids were not in a place where I felt like I could lead the church in a good way, I would lay down this church in a second. I would pass it on to somebody else. I'd give it uh, to, to one of our elders and to our leaders, and I would say, you know what, my number one priority is my household before the household of God. And this is something that, that the Apostle Paul makes clear, is that we're not looking for position. We're looking for men who are servants to the people, but their household is in order. They care, they love for their family. The number one mission in my life is not your life. The number one mission in my life is my family. I'm a pastor of my wife and a pastor of my kids before I'm a pastor to anybody in this room. And that will always be my heart. And when you look for a pastor or you look for an elder, that's what you need to look for. Someone has that heart. So selecting elders is not about a Ph.D., it's not about business success, it's not about wealth, it's not about age. The first thing that Paul says is how do they look at home and how do they look in society? What is their reputation and are they leading their home well? Once you get past that, he gets very specific. He says, verse seven, such an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, above accusation. Not overbearing, that means arrogant or pushy or self-absorbed. Uh, not quick-tempered, that means he doesn't hit, he doesn't uh, get easily mad and he handles stress very well. He shepherds the sheep, he doesn't punch them in the throat, right? <laughs> I've known pastors like that, elders like, man, they just, man, they're like explode. they're powder kegs. I mean, you don't need to get out of ministry, man. You need to, whoever your pastor is, he needs to have you step down because an elder is someone who's not overbearing. He, he reigns in his his uh, wrath, his temper. He's not given to drunkenness. That means he does not get drunk. He does not have a drinking problem. He's not violent. That means he doesn't go looking for a fight. He's not a pastor or an elder who's a bully. He's not pursuing dishonest gain. That means he's not greedy for money. He doesn't make money dishonestly. In 1 Timothy th- chapter three, he tells elders should not be a person who's a lover of money. That means your motivation and goal is not how much, money you can get, but how much of a blessing can you be to those around you? And your 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 motivation is completely different than what the world's is. Verse 8, rather he must be hospitable. That means he loves strangers. He is a gracious person. He's someone who who is Who loves people, who reaches out to people, who's not afraid of people and serving people and loving on people. Um, And this person also is one who loves what is good. He loves what God says is good and he hates what God hates and he stands for the truth of what God stands for and who is self controlled. That means uh, the little there means that he has a sound mind. That means he keeps calm under pressure. That means he's not someone who's just easily not just ticked off, but stressed by responsibility. Uh, someone uh, who is um, upright, holy, and disciplined. That means they live a disciplined lifestyle, a holy, disciplined lifestyle. So Paul is saying, if you're looking for an elder in the church, and he's saying, Titus, I want you to set in elders. Look for someone who has a solid character. Look at their home. I tell you, that's one of the first things I do is I look at their home. How are you as a husband? How is your wife? What's your relationship with your kids like? And then he says, after you look at their character in their home, he says, then look at their theology, what they believe, because what we believe matters. Verse 9, he says, he must also hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. That means he holds tightly to the truth of Jesus and is not swayed. He does not compromise in the solid, unmovable core beliefs of who Jesus is and what he has said. And then he goes on to say, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. Everybody say sound doctrine. That's because what we believe matters. Encouraging others by sound doctrine and able to refute those who oppose it. In 1 Timothy, uh, Paul says in the same list, he describes it as an elder must be able to teach and have a love for the truth. That means he's able to respond to questions that people have about the fundamentals of Jesus Christ. That means, he says, he's able to refute those who oppose it. That means, literally, those that contradict it. So an elder is not just a decent guy. He's not just a good person, but someone who knows and protects the flock from the lies of spiritual wolves. There are both there, uh, elders are there to both encourage and correct the sheep. So this is a this is a pretty big responsibility, but man what a what a gracious role it is. So overall, if you want to write this down, a elder or a shepherd is one who patiently, gently guides and leads the family of God in the truth and mission of God. See, here's the challenge of a church is finding someone who actually lives it. You know, and nobody is perfect. I'm not perfect. Our elders aren't perfect. These are our qualifications. These are someone who must be at this, at this level at least. This is a level issue of maturity. And and when you find a pastor that you can trust and believe in and elders that you respect, man, you need to plant yourself in that place. Because I've been in ministry long enough to know a lot of pastors they're in it for the wrong mission. They're in it for dishonest gain. Or some of them they're in it for the right motivation, but they're just not spiritually at a place where they should be leading anybody. And they put people and staff in their life who are not ready and shouldn't be leading anybody because their households are not in order, and that their wife is not in agreement with what they're doing, and their kids are not uh doing well because he's never home. And and their personal life is one of complete chaos and, and trouble, and they have deep hidden secret sins. It's like, you know, when you find a place that you can respect and you see them mirroring the the elders' uh, guidelines and the scriptures for a leader the best that they can, man, you plant yourself. See, that is what you can expect from a church in its leadership. A serious issue, however, has arisen up in Crete, and Paul addresses why these elders are so important. So dealing with a tough issue, he goes on in verse 10. He says, for there are many rebellious people. That means insubordinate people, to the teachings of the apostles. There are many rebellious or insubordinate people full of meaningless talk and deception. That means they teach lies. These are these traveling preachers that are coming through and uh, they're leading the people of God in a dangerous direction. He says, especially those of the circumcision group. Now, what that means is there's a group of Jewish people that became known as Judaizers. That means they were Jewish people who became Christians who said, if you really want to be a Christian, you must become a Jewish Christian. And so what they began to do is they began to travel all over over the Greek and, and Roman culture world to people that were not Jewish, that were grew up pagans that are Greek, that don't even know anything about the Old Testament, but they met Jesus. And, and so these Judaizers come in and say, all right, you really want to be a Christian? You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the Sabbath. You have to follow the holidays. You have to all these religious rules. And they basically began to press on Christians' rules and regulations. And he says, don't let these guys teach the lies of the church to the people. This isn't the only problem that they were dealing with, but this is one of them, one of the big one. It says, they must be silenced. Do not let them teach, because they are disrupting whole households. It means they're causing division in the houses. you got people to believe in different things in the house. By teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. That means they're they're promoting themselves. They're using people to their own advantage. Verse 12, it says, One of Crete's own prophets has even said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Now, we don't know who this prophet is. Uh, What it means there, the word there means messenger. could be like the reputation that the Cretans had. In fact, if you were to look up Crete over the history uh, about About at the turn of of the millennial, uh, you know, around 30 and 50 A.D., Cretans were known as like this despicable, dishonest. See, here's what the problem with Crete was. It was a beautiful port city. And then a series of volcanoes, hurricanes, and earthquakes turned a lot of the city into rubble. And and people abandoned the city. And a lot of the people that stayed were, were just... Rough, roughnecks. They were just really a, a rough group of individuals. And, uh, and so here's Titus in an area that's kind of developed a bad reputation. And he says, this saying is true because many of the pagan people in Crete uh, have a very small moral compass. And it says, therefore, rebuke them sharply. That means don't let them get away with it. Confront them personally. Why? So that they may be sound in the faith. The purpose is getting them on the right track. He says, and will pay no attention to Jewish myth. Make sure that that the, you turn them away, referring to the Judaizers' teachings or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Don't be scared of what they say. Confront them. Paul then says something really strange, and I'm going to start wrapping this up because we're losing time since we shared about the the transition uh, possible. Uh, Titus 1.15, he says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted, do not believe. Nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their conscience are corrupted. What in the world does that mean? That means a free person in Jesus is made pure by Jesus and through the shed blood of Jesus, not by our actions. But he says there are people that are coming through that do not know Christ and they're sprinkling the truth with deception, but their corrupt minds are such that everything they are saying and everything they are doing is becoming corrupt because they have a corrupt mind in this position. Let me put it this way. I have this 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 uh, Dr. Pepper here, you know, and it is delicious and uh, if you don't like it and sorry, um, let's just fill in your favorite drink, water, whatever. Uh, Diet Coke, that'd be my personal choice, but yeah. Um, so I've got this Dr. Pepper here, and if a shard of glass was to fall into my can, the entire can becomes contaminated. I can't sip away until I find the glass in my mouth. The chances of you being able to find that shard of glass as you drink it will be pretty impossible if you keep drinking it, but you'll feel it as it slices up your throat or causes havoc on your esophagus and your stomach. So even the smallest amount of deception and poison in a glass makes the entire thing contaminated. And the Apostle Paul is saying this, there are guys that are coming in and trying to teach you truth mixed with even a little bit of lies. He says, but their little bit of lie has contaminated all of them. Because their mind is backwards on this, even the truth becomes poisoned with their lies. You see, what we tend to do is we we try to kind of allow some measure of lies into our teaching or life or our worldview, but the Apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We're saved through grace alone in Jesus Christ. Don't buy into any of that lie because it's like drinking a shard of glass. It will contaminate the whole thing. So it's a very big challenge from Titus, uh, from Paul to Titus, saying you've got to deal with this issue because doctrine matters. What we believe matters. A little corruption is still corruption. So it goes on to say, verse 16, they claim to know God by their actions, uh, but, their, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. <laughs> That's harsh. It's like they're, they're counterfeit coins. They are good for nothing. And then he actually wraps up the thought in the next chapter with the first verse. He says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So that's our passage for today. What I want to do is I want to give you a couple of big walkaways of what this means for us. Just kind of some big thoughts about this. Again, an elder is not just a good person, but someone who knows and protects the flock uh, from the lies of spiritual wolves. They're both to encourage and correct the sheep. So I want to give you a couple of things that Titus is learning in that little letter as he sits on the beach, reading that letter from a spiritual dad. These are the big things. He takes a sigh, he gets up. This is what he knows. Number one, never take church leadership lightly. Never take the role of a leader in the church in a passive way. We're not just picking people to fill spots, we're not just looking for people to do stuff that you don't want to do. Uh, this is a significant challenge for every church is to find, you know, over the years of our church, we've made some pretty poor decisions on leadership, because uh, we, we needed a position to be filled, and we we put someone in it, and maybe it didn't turn out to be the way that we'd hoped, and some things about this person were revealed as we knew this person, and you know, it's hard, and it's a challenge, and I tell you, and, and I want you, and, and I sure don't, I will never take and I do not take church leadership lightly. Here's a couple of points to think about is the desire to be a church leader is a heavy, heavy burden. So if you're sitting there thinking that you want to be a church leader, I want you to think about this. First Peter, the Apostle Peter writes this in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who will also share in the glory to be revealed. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. This is not an issue of I picked you and I pressure you into doing something. This is a call of God, man. You you will to do it because the call of God has willed you to do it. There's a call of God in your life as God wants you to be. And I love this. This is a, this is about a calling into a position, not an obligation. And he says, not pursuing dishonest gain. He says, but but eager to serve. At the heart of leadership is servant. We see this again. Those of you in your life teams last week, this is what that was all about. Not lording it over those entrusting to you or entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, the big elder in the sky, <laughs> you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away because it is a heavy burden to be a leader. Second thing I want you to know is that elders, uh, eldership is not about doing stuff. It's about speaking into our life. It's about speaking into our life. Uh, uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account to God. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The importance of church submission to church leadership is is a... Touchy issue, I'm not here to control or manipulate your life, tell you who you should date, who should not date, what job you should take, what you know, where you should move. Uh, I'm here to guide you spiritually and give you counsel from God's perspective into your life. But you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have the ability to hear from God just as much as me. But God has put me into your life and elders as well to help guide you and to speak into your life. And it's important that you allow us to speak into your life. Here's the third thing I want you to know about this leadership responsibility is that be careful and mindful of who you pick as a leader. We saw this in this whole letter, but First Timothy 3, 1, he says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Paul then gives a similar list as he gave to Titus, and then he says in verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. That means someone who's just a new Christian doesn't need to be placed in a, pl- in a position of leadership. You know, you've got some great skills, man, you're a great speaker, man, you're a servant, all these things, man, your relationship with your family is going great, but you just became a Christian. You're not ready. You're not ready. And the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy and Titus, be careful who you pick, take some time. Uh, It's important that you do it right. Don't rush. There is to be accountability and a measure of expectations for us. These qualifications are not suggestions. This is part of God's plan for us. We are to be held accountable to our families, by you and to our personal life. But how can you do that unless you don't know unless you know me? I know pastors that keep themselves at such a level that their flock never even know anything about their life. You know That's something about living the way that we do. We want you in our home. We want you to see our lives. We want our dogs to get up in your face. We, we, we want you to see our, our, our kitchen and our dirty dishes if we didn't get it cleaned up before you got there. We want, we want you to see our house and live we, because we are accountable to you in our life. And, and I think it's important that a pastor has that relationship with their people. And here's the last thing about leadership responsibility is those who are rich, uh, those in church leadership should be valued. And double check our time. Yeah, I had a question here. So, are you an elder? And what is Nicole? Nicole is the pastor's wife, and I am an elder. I'm the I'm the senior elder. Uh, an elder is a spiritual leader. Those men that stood and myself were all elders. And my wife is a pastor. Uh, she doesn't like to be called a pastor, uh, but she is in a shepherding role. But she is not an elder. Um, here's a something you should realize is that we are a gift. And I don't mean that in a prideful way. I mean that we need to remember that these guys are a gift, that Sean is a gift, the, the pastors and the elders and the deacons in our church. Ephesians 5 says that they're given as a gift to the church. This is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He says this, chapter 16, verse 15. He says, You know that the household of, of Stephen was the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it, for they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. I think elders, these men that sacrifice their time, these energies, our, our life team leaders, our pastors, men and women, our deacons, uh we don't use the term deacon too much, but shepherding roles in our church like life team leaders. These people should be valued and respected for their time, their sacrifices, and their calling. Very few pastors ever feel appreciated. Most of them hang on by a thread on whether they're going to stay in ministry. In fact, something like 75% of all pastors wish they had done something else with their life. 85% of all pastors' wives wish their husbands did something different. Because the stress and the level of feeling lonely and depressed and, and just not feeling appreciated is, is a tremendous burden on most churches. Paul says to the church in Thessalonia in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So this is a challenge. Do not take leadership lightly. All right. So I've got like, I should be done, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow. Uh, Here we go. Final thoughts. Walk away from Titus. Number two, leadership guidelines are your goals. These qualifications for elders Good reputation, faithful to spouse, consistent with kids, serving heart, puts others before himself, humble, patient, self-controlled, generous, gracious, disciplined, knows how to hold faithfully the gospel of Jesus and knows how to share it. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit. See, a lot of people think, well, you're the pastor. You can't do certain things, but I'm just, I'm just a regular Joe. I can do whatever I want. See, those qualifications for the pastor and for the elders, those are goals for you to mature to. These are not separate guidelines for our lives. The elders and the deacons are just to be people who have a measure of maturity in those things, but you're just a little bit behind us maybe in those areas. Uh, These are not standards we expect only for them. These are areas of maturity for us to excel for. They're not requirements for elders. They're requirements for all Christians, and the reason you can't be an elder if you don't, meet them is because you're not walking with Christ as you should as a Christian. These are requirements for a soul. Third thing to think about the big walkway from Titus is this, is that there are wolves out there. Guys, listen, there are wolves in the church. There are wolves in the world. There are wolves. In the in the body of Christ, it will come in and try to teach us things that are not God ordained. Many of the New Testament letters deal with the wolves. Here's a a few of them. Matthew, Jesus said, "Beware of those false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves." Here's a few more. Just listen to this. Luke, he says, "Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves." Philippians three two, beware of dogs or wolves. Beware of evil workers. Beware of those false teachers. Colossians 2.8, beware lest any man spoil you through empty philosophy. And vain deceit. Second Corinthians 11, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Galatians 2 and 3, Philippians 1 and 3, uh, and 2 Peter chapter 2 all deal with the wolves. In fact, the apostle Paul in Acts, writing to the church in Ephesus where he's at, where he wrote, Titus, he says this, even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert and remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day with tears. Man, this is serious. Elders are designed, our leaders in our church are designed to protect the church from the wolves and false teaching. So I'm gonna challenge you, wolves are out there. Here's th- the fourth thing, is that confrontation is hard, but necessary. And this is a difficult one, is that it's never easy, but it must be done. And the purpose is to restore them. And Titus, he says, they must be silenced, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the truth. Mentioned often by the apostles, if you want to know what Confrontation looks like. Jesus nailed it out for us in Matthew 18. Write it down, circle it, read it out later. The leaders of the church and the people of the church, you included, need to be willing to confront tough issues. Titus tells us it's never easy to confront, but it is necessary. Here's the last thing, and I went in with this, and this is our mission of the church. And I love this is that Paul lays it out right up front is that the purpose of the church has been and always will be about leading and introducing people to Jesus and helping them to grow mature in Jesus, we can't be swayed on this, guys. We can't be sidetracked by politics. We can't be sidetracked by causes and issues that are you know, they're just current events. We must stay true to the calling of the body of Christ, and that is introduce people to Jesus, help them to grow in their faith. That's why that declaration at the beginning was so important. If you need to help uh, tear down Kid Venture, I assume that's where Garrett's going. If you need to slip out and do that, uh, I'm going to pray for you guys right now. I'm going to ask the band to come forward um, as we pray. You know, there, we are in such a weird time in our history, aren't we? And um, there's a, a tendency to get sidetracked by, by what is happening. Paul, said, Paul made it clear. Me, Everything we do as a church is about helping you to find Jesus and grow in him and to reflect him. Being like Jesus to those around us. This is what he says. I and mean, am in with this passage. This band gets ready. The ushers, you want to go ahead and get ready too because we're going to move pretty fast after this. It says this, Titus 1.1. Paul says this, I'm writing to you to further, that means to help you mature, In the faith of God's elect, that means our reliance on Jesus. And their knowledge of the truth, that means our understanding of Jesus. That leads to godliness, that means our walk with Jesus. In the hope of eternal life, that means our life with Jesus after this, the promise of Jesus. Which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, through the preaching entrusted to me, by the command of God our Savior. So I want to ask you something today. Where are you with Jesus? Where are you with Jesus today? You've heard us talk about church stuff. It may not even be something you're interested in. Elders who may not even be something that you even think about. But these are set in place because God loves us and He loves you. And He wants you to know Him better. And we're designed to help you mature and to know Him better.